the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. So this May will, will mark the 21st anniversary of my graduation from seminary. And that means a few things. First of all, it means come May that my degree can legally have a beer. Secondly, it means that I'm getting really old. And thirdly, it means that I have forgotten a lot since then, but I've also learned even more since that time. You see... I loved my seminary experience. I had, it was a wonderful community. I enjoyed the classes. My professors were amazing. And I feel like I was fairly well prepared to go into the ministry. Fairly well prepared. There were some things that we weren't taught while we were there. Things that turned out to be pretty important. For instance, no one ever taught me what to do when you have two funerals for two different people and two separate times on the same day. No one ever taught me what to do when one of your church members criticizes what you named your child. Nobody ever taught us that. Nobody ever taught us how to bless a moonshine distillery. That wasn't in any of our books either. There's a lot of examples like this. In fact, I'm a part of a Facebook group called Things They Didn't Teach Us in Seminary. And there's all kinds of things pastors throughout the world are sharing. Turns out they didn't teach us to bring an extra pair of pants in the car in case one of your pants splits. That's happened to me. Christmas Eve, in fact. Um, they didn't teach us how to do a funeral for a dog. I think there's a good reason for that, but still, that's what somebody posted. And no one ever taught us what to do when the roof starts leaking on our head while we're preaching from the pulpit. Things they did not teach us in seminary. So there's all kinds of things like that, but let me tell you what I just want to write on that Facebook page. Things they didn't teach us in seminary? This. No one mentioned how to do ministry in a pandemic. They thought they could have taught that somewhere, but no. I'm sure, and I'm sure whatever school you went to, they probably didn't teach it there either. Because man, oh man, everything has been reinvented. Nobody ever taught us how to use a camera, how to film, how to do lighting. They didn't teach us about microphones. They didn't teach us how to record or edit or anything like that. They, didn't, they taught us things like you go to the hospital when somebody's sick and you go and visit them in their homes. They didn't teach us what to do when you're not allowed to do those things anymore. And 
We were taught that you want to try to get people to come through those doors. They never taught us what to do when you want people to not come through the doors. Everything has changed. And now, thankfully, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's great. But what scares me now is, as much as we want things to get back to normal, what's normal now? Because the truth is, some of the things that we've gained during this time aren't ever going to go away. Things have changed forever. And so how do we adjust to that? I mean, the way we used to define faithfulness was, well, you went to church on Sunday mornings. Well, we can't do that. You put money in the offering plate. Well, many of us haven't been able to do that. You show up to meetings and you get involved. And you go to Bible studies. And you go to youth group. And you go to Sunday school. But how can you be faithful if you can't go to those places anymore? So our whole faith has had to be reimagined over the last year, hasn't it? I mean, the way we think about discipleship and what it means to be a Christian has been turned upside down. Everything has changed. But here's the good news, folks. That's been going on since the beginning of faith. We have a God of change. And we see that in today's gospel reading. Now, today's gospel reading is known as the cleansing of the temple. And it is written about in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, this time we read in John's gospel. And John's gospel has things a little bit different. Because here's what has happened thus far. It started out with, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was God. You know, beautiful introduction, best one in all the gospels. And then you start hearing about the proclamation of John the Baptist and saying that one is coming who, who, will, who will, is not worthy to, uh, the one who's coming that John's not worthy to untie the thong of a sandal. And then you hear about the baptism of Jesus. And then you hear Jesus calling the first disciples. Then Jesus takes them to a wedding feast and turns water into wine. And then Jesus comes and cleanses the temple. In, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this scene happens at the end. This is sort of the straw that broke the camel's back after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where, where we know that Jesus, right after this, goes and has his last meal with his disciples, then goes out to the garden and is crucified. But in John's gospel, we're in chapter 2. This is the very beginning. And, and folks, just so we're clear, this is not something that happened twice. So John put it here for a reason. Why would John put it at the very beginning? And there's another difference too. In there, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he calls them, that you he says that you have made my father's house should be a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. Because apparently the people, the money changers, were basically scamming and, and getting rich off the poor people. Because they needed to, to change their money from Roman money to, to temple money. And they still had to buy those sacrifices. But here, 
he says, do not make my father's house a marketplace. Now, that's often been misunderstood uh, in churches because some churches have thought, well, that means that you don't do fundraisers and that, that you don't sell things, you know, like Girl Scout cookies or, or, or things like that. Well, I've got a couple things to say about that. First of all, Girl Scout cookies are delicious. And secondly, right now, our preschool child development ministry is selling butter braids, which are wonderful pastries. They're $14 a piece, and all you need to do is call the church office, call the preschool office, or find a preschool parent to buy one of these things before May 5th, March 15th. Trust me, they're great. You won't regret it. You see, that's not what this is saying. <coughs> Don't worry, it's not COVID. Um, that's not at all what, what's being said here. What's being said is this. One, Jesus does this at the beginning to say that things are changing. And the things that are changing are absolutely huge. Because what he's saying is here is these sacrifices, you don't need to do those anymore. And sacrifice was absolutely massive as part of the Jewish faith. Listen to this. All right, I couldn't memorize it all, so I had to tell you. So there were, there were five types of sacrifices. There were burnt offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, and peace offerings. Now, see, a burnt offering was a bull, ram, male goat, male dove, or a young pigeon, and this had to do with how much money you had. So like a king would give a ram while, you know, you or I would give a, a pigeon, okay? Then a grain offering would be flour, bread, um, grain, and then a sin offering would be a male or female animal without blemish, a bull for a high priest for the whole congregation, a male goat for a king, female goat for, for common persons, or a, da, um, a dove or pigeon for the slightly poor, or a tenth of an ff of flour for the very poor. And then the guilt offering, a ram or lamb, uh, a ram or lamb without blemish, and a peace offering with any animal without blemish. But now here are the blood offerings. Um, burn offering, male unblemished, goat, dove. We already talked about that sin offering. Um, and then the trespass offering, that's a ram only. A peace offering, would it be an unblemished male or female, ox, sheep, or goat? Thank offering is the same. A votive offering is an unblemished male or female, uh, ox, sheep, or goat, not person. Um, and then a free will offering would be the same. So you see, in order to complete their offerings, they would bring animals to slaughter them. Well, folks, you would have a bunch of Jews out there running around trying to catch birds and wild animals in order to do that. And so instead, what they had set up is people would go, it was their job to catch these things, and then if you needed to make a sacrifice, you would come to the temple, you would buy a dove or a ram or these unblemished animals, and then you would sacrifice them. That was how things were done. That's how you made your offering to God. Now, look around. Does it look like I've slaughtered anything in here today? The carpet came red. It wasn't made red, you know? There are no knives on me anywhere. It did not smell like a steakhouse out there, and it does not smell like a butcher shop in here. Things changed because it was time for them to change. Because you see, what happened 
was that the true sacrificial lamb was driving the rest of it out. Because Jesus Christ became that sacrifice. And so no longer was it needed to have pigeons and doves and rams and goats and bulls there to be sacrificed. Because Jesus took all of that himself. He was the sacrifice for our sin. He is our eternal offering. But on that day, he issued change. A change that has stood forever. Because you and I worship the God of change. And that's tough for us, isn't it? Because we're Lutherans. And you know how many Lutherans does it take to, to change a light bulb? We don't do change. I mean, look at this. I, I brought these here today to prove a point about Lutherans and change. These are the four main hymnals of the history of the Lutheran church in the United States. This one was published in 1918. This one was published in 1958. This one was published in 1978. And this one was published in 2006. In my 46 years on this planet, we've had three hymnals. In the last 100 years, we've had four. Are you telling me that in 100 years, we've only written five songs? I mean, because they all have basically the same hymns. Some of the words are changing around a little bit. No, we struggle so much with change that we don't even want new books. Because, well, that's a new hymn. We don't do new hymns. Really? Folks, just to let you know, at one point in your life, Amazing Grace was a new hymn to you. It's a new hymn to all of us. Change, though, is something that we struggle with. Maybe it's because we're Lutherans. Maybe because we're human beings. It's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar. It's unknown. And so we try to fight back and, and push back on it. But the truth is, we are constantly in the midst of change. Because we worship the God of change. And so how do we deal with this? What do we do when, it, when change comes knocking at our door? Well, let me give you a, a, a few things that might help. First of all, we need to be constantly praying for our openness to change. Because whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. And how we respond is the difference that it'll make. So we need to pray for that openness because it is not something that comes naturally to any of us. And secondly, we need to try it. It's just like you tell your kids when you're trying to get them to eat something new. I don't like that. How do you know you don't like it? You have never put it in your mouth before. Try it. Before you reject a change, try it. And when I say try it, I mean more than once. You know, because you all remember when we used to do communion once a quarter or once a month. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, we're going to do it every week. And some people are like, no, we don't do that. And now it's painful for us not to do it every week, isn't it? And so it's one of these changes that we've lived through, and now we accept. But now, if you still don't like it, you need to ask yourself why the change happened to begin with. 
Because it may be a good reason. It may be very beneficial for someone else. And because we are people of faith, we ought to be okay with that. But then, if the change still doesn't work, if it's not working, you know what? I'm going to quote a, a, a guy from my last congregation, Mr. Boyd Smith. He told me when I first got there, he goes, you know what? We don't mind change around here. We change all the time. If we don't like it, we'll change it again. That's what we need to do. If something's not working, change it again. That's the beauty of life. It's constantly changing, and we, it's okay to embrace that. It's okay to do things differently because we worship the God of change. So we need to ask ourselves, what is Jesus trying to cleanse in our church, in our homes, and in our lives? What change is God introducing to you and me today? And how are we going to deal with it? Look, I'll be honest with you. Things are changing again as the vaccine is coming out more and more. And as we're going to be moving slowly back to not having to wear masks when we see each other. And we might have more people in the room than 50. Things are going to be changing again. And what's it going to look like? I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I do know this. We worship the God of change. The God who is constantly changing our lives. And he's changing our lives for something great. He's changing our lives to change the world. Amen.